The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself. Well... Welcome to the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting from a stut, or stutio, a rooftop studio here in Sadia, Morocco, where I moved after my voluntary migration last July. And it certainly was a better voluntary migration than the Zionists are trying to impose on the people of Gaza. Nobody blew up my house, killed my family members. Nobody starved me. Nobody cut off my water. Nobody blew up the local hospital, local ambulances. So I, I guess I had a pretty good voluntary migration. I suppose the fact that the Zionists have totally taken over the United States and turned it into a complete hellhole uh, is only one of the many factors that made me move to Morocco. Whereas the people of Gaza, if they ever do move, which I don't think they will, uh, I think they would rather die fighting than leave. Um, but if they were to, they would certainly have been forced into a much nastier, quote-unquote, voluntary migration than I ever had to undergo. Well, that's the introduction for our show tonight. We're going to talk about that uh, genocide, a.k.a. voluntary migration, with Professor Anthony Hall in the second hour. Tony Hall has a new article out called Thousands of Israeli Jews Responded to the ICJR Ruling, or the ICJ Ruling on Israeli Genocide by Dancing and Chanting Death to the Arabs. It's a good title, and it should be a good interview in the second hour with Tony Hall. Good to have him back. He's my old False Flag Weekly News colleague. And hey, I have another False Flag Weekly News colleague and colleague of various kinds here in the first hour, Dr. Alan Sabrowski. He's the former head of strategic studies at the U.S. Army War College, famous for having said Israel did 9-11 back uh, like almost 15 years ago, I think, and uh, setting off a firestorm, becoming the most censored man in America, and now... We're pushing back against his status as the most censored man in America by giving him a platform right here on Truth Jihad Radio on the first Friday of every month, and that's what it is today. And so Alan is here, I believe. I think we have we have our connection working, and if we don't, we'll get the backup going. Say, Alan, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can, yeah. Your, your microphone is indeed uh, transmitting. Excellent. You're breaking up very badly on my end. Oh, um, sorry to hear that. I, I'm, I'm hearing about every second or third word. Oh, that's not so good. Do you think we should switch to your phone instead of Skype? Um, let's let's try the phone. Okay, yeah. Works. So we, hopefully, we Mr. Get, Rowe. I apologize for everyone. I, this is I almost couldn't get on the internet at all with Skype. Uh, our friends are probably playing games. Uh, okay. I'll sign off with Skype and I'll wait for the phone call. Okay, sounds good. See you, Alan. Okay, well, that means that Mr. Rowe in the control booth will hopefully get a hold of Alan Sabrowski through the phone number that I already provided in case of just such an emergency. It's it's interesting how the technical difficulties seem to be, they always pile up around Alan Sabrowski for some reason. It's almost as if there's like some outfit of technical troublemakers that has him in their gun sights. <laughs> Can't imagine why that would be. <laughs> 
we have all kinds of interesting stuff to talk about. I'm sorry your call cannot be taken at this Uh-oh. time. We're trying to reach Please him through his phone, but he's, he's got his, uh, and I'll get back to as soon as possible. He's probably got his default setting on his phone to reject calls from unknown sources. And when you call from Skype, it's an unknown source. So maybe, uh, maybe we need to get him back on, on Skype. And here, I'll, I'll maybe send him a message here on Skype and inform him of that problem. Um, so let's see, where is he? Okay, uh, and I'll tell him you know, that he needs to probably change his settings. Your settings don't allow uh, calls from unknown callers, which Skype always is. Okay, so hopefully, uh, so I guess we'll probably have to use Skype. Too bad if he's got a lousy connection. That's funny. Here, I have a better connection here in Morocco, which is... Alan, I'm sorry your call cannot be taken yeah, at this time. Yeah, we have... Please leave your name, telephone number, yeah, and the we have this usual and I'll get back to problem that where Skype uh, doesn't give a, an ID when it calls people. And so if they have their settings to reject unknown callers, which is the default for many providers, this is what happens when you try to call them. So I guess that means that we have to do Skype and I guess we can call Alan back on Skype and do our best and, uh, put up, well, we'll have to get this next time. We'll get this fixed. I'll teach, see if I can teach him how to use it, how to change his settings so that we can actually call his phone and he will hear at the ring and pick up, which is a little better. Hey, Alan, you're back on Skype. Phone never rang and your voice is clear enough. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad the voice is clear. Uh, the, the thing about the phone is maybe before we do next month's show, you can change your settings so that <laughs> it will accept calls from unknown callers. The default, uh, the default setting is to reject calls from unknown callers and send them to voicemail, which is what happened when we tried to call you. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. I will do that. Sounds good. Well, we got you anyway. now. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of those interesting experiences. We've had them before. Yeah, yeah, you seem to have gremlins following you around. Little gremlins with little blue stars on their badges, I think. Uh, uh, I, I, it's probably yellow stars rather than blue stars, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> well, maybe anyway, they need yellow uh, stars <laughs> so we can keep track of them. Probably, probably something like that on it. Um, it's, it's an interesting time. It's more than an interesting time. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to begin. You can hear me, yes? Uh, yes, yes. Your your sound quality isn't perfect, but it's acceptable. Okay, good enough. Uh, I forgot to mention something on the in the January show that I had intended to do so, and that was to uh, express my sincere condolences for the loss of Alan Reese in in 2023. He was uh, one of our heroes, a very good person. And did a lot of work for all of us, and I think we will all miss him. Yeah, yeah. Alan was was one of the best people to work with that I met in the Truth Movement, where there are always a lot of you know people who are trying to deal with him productively is like herding cats. But uh, Alan <laughs> was a joy to work with, and and a fun guy too. I still remember playing ping pong with him on the terrace at the Seal Rock Inn uh, at the uh, cliff overlooking the Cliff House in San Francisco. Uh, we had, we had, uh, some, some good times 
and and he was he was just great to work with. He cared more about getting the truth out as he saw it than getting any kind of ego rewards for it or even financial rewards. Uh, you know, he, my wife said he was a typical Aquarian who was, you know, like me, she accuses me of being an Aquarian. Like I, I would rather <laughs> tell the truth than have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm familiar with the process. Uh, I was thinking today about, uh, about the various places I had taught and I can't think of any of them, including the army war college in West Point that would, that would find me acceptable today. Given the given the the wokeness of the of the institutions, and that's really frightening when you consider that the military academy and the war college were among the more conservative institutions out there. And it's, uh, it's the way it goes. So yeah, yeah there, there's no way they would let you back in there, Alan. I mean, e- even if you went and like uh, did the pilgrimage to the Wailing Wall and put on the beanie and kissed the wall, then you went to Auschwitz <laughs> and kissed the gas chambers like Elon did. And then if you underwent a voluntary sex change operation, I mean, they still wouldn't accept you. I think that's probably true. They, they have very different approaches to this. Um, how do you want to consider it today? I have I have a couple of things I'd like to talk about, but it's your show and I'm open to questions. Hope yeah, like well, there, there's some really obvious things, of course. And, you know, one of them is you're one of those really important voices that has been warning about an impending possible civil war in the U.S., and the events in the border in Texas could be sort of nudging events in that direction. So at some point we should talk about that. But I also wanted to hear the short version of your pushback against Ron Unza's latest article's thesis, which is <laughs> that the descendants of today's Jews, who according to most alleged genetic testing, uh, probably did come from the Middle East, but probably didn't come from Palestine because there's just no evidence of any such exodus. And there is evidence for vast amounts of conversion to Judaism under the Roman Empire. So Ron thinks that uh, remnants of Phoenician and Carthaginian ethnic people who were inhabiting the dregs of the empire, uh, would some of them converted to Judaism, and some of those converts became the ancestors of a whole lot of today's Jews. So why why is that wrong? Well, if you're talking about Phoenicians generically, uh, I think I mentioned to you in a in a brief brief comment that you know Phoenicians and Semites were probably pretty common through most of the original pe- uh, peoples in the Middle East. That they were Carthaginians specifically, um, I would find difficult to to create because you know the Romans were very were very clear that they were going to erase Carthage, and they did. You know they, they did it so completely that for all of us voluminous literature and all of the things that have done, everything we know about the Carthaginians today, we know from their enemy, the Romans. And they literally erase them. There are scraps of pottery and shreds like that around that part of Tunisia, but there really isn't much else left. Um, but if you talk about Phoenicians generally, it's entirely possible. Just I wonder why they would convert to Judaism, but they certainly were inhabiting that part of the world. And it could easily have been that, generically speaking. Right. Yeah. I have. Yeah. I think that makes sense because the Phoenicians did have a kind of an ethnic continuity that went through Carthage and, and their main stomping grounds, sure. which are in today's sure. Lebanon. And so the, the destruction of Carthage 
you know, would, certainly wouldn't have gotten rid of the Phoenician ethnicity. And you know, as Ranan says, the Phoenicians were famous uh, long-distance traders, and uh, Jews, of course, are, are known for that. Um, they may have had a grudge against Rome, um, partly because of what happened to their friends and their co-ethnics over in Carthage. Uh, and I, I also, though, Alan, it's conceivable that somebody might have escaped from Carthage before you know it was totally destroyed. We do have that case of Abdurrahman ibn Muawiyah bin Hisham, who founded the Umayyad dynasty in Al-Andalus, Spain, after the Umayyads were overthrown and massacred to a man, woman, and child by the, the people that would become the Abbasids. And so he, that, that Abdurrahman managed to escape uh, from Damascus, I believe, and make his way all the way to Spain and restart that dynasty there. Now, I, I'm not saying that what happened with if there were any Carthaginians who later became Jews that were uh, you know, quite that extravagant in, in their escape and in their founding a new dynasty. But anyway, such things can happen. There can be survivors of near total massacres who then um, flourish. Yeah, I, I think as I mentioned to you, I thought that it's, uh, it's probably more likely that the Romans were the lost tribe of, of Israel. And I, I said somewhat jocularly, and I meant it, uh, <laughs> that I can't I can't imagine two people being inflicted by by either uh, genetics or, or a deity with the same nose. And since the Roman nose is very much like the Jewish nose, you know, that's a little bit more than coincidence. But anyway, we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, I mean, maybe we will, though. You know, it's possible that advances in genetic testing and, and accumulation of knowledge will shed more light on that issue. But I'll, maybe I'll bring Ron's back on to talk about that at some point, uh, especially if any news comes out about that hypothesis, which, by the way, actually originated, I think, or at least was first popularized by H.G. Wells. Well, moving on to should we go to the civil war or to the genocide in Gaza or or to the impending catastrophe in Ukraine, catastrophe from the American side anyway, or where, where do you want to start? Well, let me see. Let's let's let's, let's talk about um, about the border crisis in Texas. Um, I'm, it's not so much that I'm I'm talking about a a civil war because I don't think that a civil war or secession in the way that those are usually discussed is really feasible. Um, there's There are too many red areas in blue states. There are too many blue cities in red states. There's a complete fragmentation politically within states, uh, and there's been too many migrants coming in. I mean, literally, I don't see that you can, you can functionally talk about anything approaching the degree of geographical contiguity that would be required for there to be anything approximating the civil war. If there's anything that would make civil disorder within the United States have an earlier analog, it would probably be the Thirty Years' War in Europe, you know, which pitted valley against valley, village against village, town against town, province against province. It was a complete mess, and it would be at least that bad. It would truly be that bad. But what I think is, is more important rather than worrying about um, an apocalyptic or semi-apocalyptic outcome, is to recognize that no matter what happens in Texas, no matter what happens between Texas and the Biden administration, um, as long as New Mexico, Arizona, and California have open borders, 
a complete closure of the Texas border, a complete closure. Raise the wire, minefields, radar controlled miniguns, whatever you want to put down there. Only means that the that the thrust of the invasion will shift from the Texas border to New Mexico or Arizona or California or all all three of them. Plus, you have migrants coming in from Canada, Central America, and African migrants coming over the northern border from camps in Canada. Clearly, the Canadian government is part of this. Someone is moving these people from Central Africa and Central America into Canada to come into the northern states. They're not getting there. They're not swimming there. They're not taking the boats there. They're not walking there. They're getting there somewhere. So the Texas scenario, what's happening in Texas, is an enormous distraction. It's going to have a lot of people getting very excited, but it's not going to change either the invasion of migrants into the United States or do anything about getting anywhere between 8 and 18 million out. That's the reality of it. And I don't know why people are getting so excited about what is not going to have any substantive effect other than to have a great number of people grandstand. Um, and it's not going to change things. It's really not going to change things. But, but isn't the standoff between the federal government and uh, Abbott in Texas going to um, create some, you know, it's going to, the, the relationships between states and the federal government is going to get frayed, isn't it? I mean, the Supreme Court basically said the feds can move in and get rid of the barbed wire. And then Abbott uh, told the Texas authorities to not let them do it. I mean, that's, that's forcing yeah, an interesting issue, isn't it? Well, it, 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 cert- it certainly is. But the, the relationship between the states and the federal government changed in 1865 from a union of sovereign states with a weak central government into a all-powerful central government. And it took some years for that to evolve, but that was the point. And it, it ended the concept of sovereign states. Texas Texas is going to flip blue, if not in 2024, probably the next year or two. Uh, it's very clear if you look at the demographics, what's happened to Texas, it's very much the same thing has happened to California. Uh, and I don't think that that's going to change with anything he's doing. I think that Abbott, Abbott is playing some type of a side game. Uh, he is as much of a Zionist as DeSantis and Trump. And I don't quite know what that side game is, because the same groups who are pushing the migrants are the groups who pull the strings of Abbott and DeSantis and Trump. So it and that's like, reality. So, so, so it's kind of a controlled opposition scenario. You're saying it, it, it is. It, it, it is something like that on it. Um, and I don't really see why this is being played out this way, except that it's as people are focusing on that, the administration can go ahead and do what the Zionists have wanted to do for at least 23, 24 years, which is attack Iran. I mean, Gaza is Gaza is small change compared to taking out Iran. They want to take out Iran, and that's that's everything has been happening for at least two years has been pointing in that direction. Anything happening in the Middle East, it's an Iran-backed throw in the blank. Hezbollah is Iran-backed. Hamas is Iran-backed. Forget that it's Israel's creation. 
uh, something happens in Yemen or in Jordan, it's Iran-backed. That's a constant refrain. And as long as Americans are focusing on the Texas border and the Texas federal government standoff or the House of Representatives talking about impeaching Mayorkas or anyone else, forgetting that they don't have the two-thirds majority in the Senate that would be needed to convict, they can impeach until hell freezes over. It's not going to give them a majority, two-thirds majority in the Senate. That's a distraction. It's simply a distraction. While the main aim, the main chance, which is to promulgate a further war in the Middle East and take out Iran, is allowed to continue. That's an interesting interpretation, but it, it kind of runs against a certain logic of the situation, which would be that, well, uh, these same people who want to go after Iran today have been wanting to go after Iran since 9-11. 9-11 was indeed about taking out seven countries in five years, and, and the seventh country was supposed to be Iran. And indeed, at the end of the Bush administration, 2007, uh, Cheney's forces that wanted to get Iran apparently you know, went to extreme lengths, including allegedly kidnapping some loose nukes from Minot Air Force Base at one point, and then allegedly rigging up a false flag attack against an American ship in Bahrain that was foiled by uh, then uh, advisor to the admiral of the Fifth Fleet, uh, Gwyneth Tutt. Uh, so they, they failed. That is the, the other side that recognized that a war with Iran wouldn't go well for anybody uh, prevailed in 2007, has been prevailing ever since. And I'm just wondering why the making everybody look at a big fight between the feds and Abbott in Texas would somehow help change the situation they face today, which is that the American public is even less likely to go along with a big Mideast war now than they were back in 2007. All the, the There's an article in Time magazine two days ago that went into the polling data showing that Biden has totally destroyed his political chances by uh, getting dragged as far as he has into war in the Middle East and that the American public is just rabidly against any further wars. It'll be a political disaster. So why would dividing the American public even more intensively through stoking the tensions at the border in Texas somehow magically transform the situation and make the U.S. able to prevail against Iran and to make the warmongers prevail against the uh, skeptics of a war in Iran? Well, Kevin, I don't think it's... Hello, Alan. I'm not hearing you. Um, hmm, that's interesting. Right when I asked a, a very uh, pointed question, we lost touch with Alan Sobrowski. And I uh, guess we'll have to wait and see if he comes back. I'm also uh, experiencing some issues with my computer monitor at the same moment. That's very interesting. Anyway... Uh, hopefully we'll get Alan Sobrowski back on the line in just a moment. But I do wonder whether that you know, distraction at the border really is going to help the warmongers all that much. Uh, it certainly wouldn't make the anti-immigration uh, conservative folks rally around the Biden administration's plans for another big war in the Middle East. It's just going to make those people more angry at the Biden administration and less likely to go along with whatever it may do, uh, including uh, going to war in the Middle East. So 
Yes, I understand there is this theory of distractions and that when uh, powerful forces want you to look at something over here, that means that they're probably planning something untoward over there. And that that whole business of misdirection, uh, which, of course, is part of the magic business, is definitely something I wouldn't completely discount. But it's just that in this particular case, I don't understand how this would grease the skids to a big Middle Eastern war by staging some kind of big border fight uh, in Texas. And that's what I was trying to ask Alan uh, Sobrowski, but for whatever reason, I guess he got cut off. So maybe we can bring him back into this call. Uh, let's see if I can do that myself. Otherwise, I'll have to ask my producer, Mr. Rowe, to do it. Okay, let me see here. Is there a way I can add to the call? Uh, let's see. Maybe I'll have to ask Mr. Rowe. Mr. Rowe, would you mind bringing Alan Sobrowski back into the call? He dropped out, and I can't get his... Uh, there we go. Okay, let's see. Oh, there he is. He's supposedly still a participant here. And okay, let's. let's I don't know. I don't see him on the board. All right. Well, let's see if I can uh, alert Mr. Rowe. Um, Helen dropped. Bring him back. Let's let's bring him back. So, yeah, Alan Zabrowski, head of strategic studies at the U.S. Army War College, uh, is, is about to try to explain how we could be uh, manipulated into the, the big kahuna, the huge Mideast war that certain Zionist forces think would provide them with the cover they need to finish the genocide of Palestine. That is to murder or expel the remaining Palestinians in historic Palestine. And... Um, They've been angling for this. Some of them, anyway, have been angling for this for years. And now, of course, with attention stoked up around this uh, genocide, which has rallied the world against the Zionist entity more than anything in recent memory, maybe anything since the foundation of the so-called State of Israel in 1948. Um, okay. Uh, well, we just, just got word that Alan Sabrowski is supposedly unavailable. He's been... Uh, Dropped from the call. That's pretty crazy. Uh, sounds like, um, I don't know if he's at home in uh, Mississippi or on the road. He spent some of his time in Michigan as well. And his, uh, his internet has a way of fluctuating when we try to bring him on these shows. Yeah, I'm very curious about his, his answer to that last question. Um, Obviously, there are uh, forces trying to manipulate the current U.S. administration into an escalated war to facilitate the uh, further ethnic cleansing of Palestine. But I haven't seen indications that the uh, majority wisdom in the current administration is eager to go in that direction. And whether somehow they could be forced to go in that direction through problems at the border in Texas, I just don't know. All right. Well, we're having no luck with, uh, with Alan Sabrowski. Um, let's see. What, uh, what are our alternatives here? Uh, I suppose 
we could, I could chat with, uh, get Mr. Rose take on some of these topics, which, uh, would always be interesting. Um, or, uh, I could scroll down through my Skype contacts, find a backup guest, but kind of hate to do that when it's the long awaited first Friday and Alan Sabrowski has been set as a regular on these first Fridays. Um, I, I guess we should have reprogrammed Alan's phone. It's funny how that works. Some phones have that default setting where they won't allow you to call them from Skype. Others don't. Most of them don't, actually. So that makes it uh, hard for us to think ahead in these cases. I don't, I think in the past we've actually reached Alan on his phone. So I don't know why that setting would have suddenly changed. Um, I'll send him a message. Are you still there? And we'll see what Alan has to say for himself. Well, in the meantime, I could mention that I managed to unleash a big uh, internet uh, hullabaloo with an article I published yesterday on my Substack entitled Damn the Jews. <laughs> well, it was in quotation marks, but still, that's a pretty uh, controversial title for an article. And I got some pushback from people, including some who hadn't even read the article, but just based on this uh, headline were very angry at me, thinking that I was condemning every last Jewish person, which, of course, was not my intention at all. And if you bother to, to actually to read the article, um, I think it may have been a little a little on the subtle side uh, for some readers. But the whole point was that it's just kind of crazy and hilarious how the Houthi movement, which is so popular in my part of the world, I'm in Morocco, part of the MENA, Middle East, North Africa region, is uh, stop trying to stop the genocide of Gaza. They're trying to boycott or rather uh, to block or blockade Israeli shipping in the Red Sea. And they've raised the cost of global shipping. The U.S. has moved in and attacked uh, Yemen, which is where the, the Houthi movement's headquarters is. Well, actually, the Houthi movement is really the uh, real government of Yemen at this point. They control over three-quarters of the population. That is the territory of Yemen that houses three-quarters of the population. And they certainly represent the majority of the people of Yemen and of the entire region in their attempt to stop the genocide of Gaza by blockading Israeli shipping. Well, the U.S. has come in and attacked them. So in my uh, my article, quote, damn the Jews, what I was referring to is the Houthi slogan, which is uh, it has uh, five parts. Uh, God is the greatest is number one. Death to America Fallon, is number two. I'm sorry your call cannot be taken at this time. Death to Israel is number three. A curse upon the Jews is number four. And victory to Islam is number five. So I found number four, a curse upon the Jews, to be the most problematic. I mean, even though all of them, with the possible exception of God is the greatest, uh, are problematic from an American PR perspective. That is, you, you can't sell pizzas in Peoria with those slogans. Uh, but of all of those slogans, you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it, that a curse upon the Jews, <laughs> which I, I could hardly say that with a straight face, is actually 
more controversial in the United States than death to America is, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. I mean, you'd think that Americans would really be you know, most upset about death to America. I mean, who cares if you're cur putting a, a curse upon the Jews? I mean, that's uh, that's such old fashioned language. Anyway, it's kind of uh, humorous. And so that, that was really my point was that in Arabic, uh, or would translate here as a curse upon the Jews by most of the translators is uh, pretty natural and, and non-problematic. Whereas in the United States, it really hits the, the buttons, right? It, it touches the third rail. You're just not allowed to say anything negatively connoted about Jews. And so I thought there's kind of a humorous contrast between the way that the Arabic expression is kind of non-problematical. It doesn't create any PR problems for the Houthis in this part of the world. And the, both the, the you know, the, the clumsiness, uh, and kind of outmoded, uh, quality of, of a curse upon the Jews. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, that contrast struck me as humorous. So I, I wrote this article, Damn the Jews, saying that a much better translation than a curse upon the Jews would be uh, damn the Jews. And of course, I put that in quotation marks, indicating that somebody else said that, not me. I wasn't personally saying damn the Jews, but I was rather uh, reflecting upon somebody else who had said that, and that would be the Houthis. And that would be a translation of, uh, of their Arabic expression, Lahamat al-Yahud. So anyway, I wrote an article about that and got a lot of pushback. And uh, so I, I just uh, put out a uh, another article entitled uh, Literary Self-Criticism uh, dealing with, with that whole uh, issue. So that's uh, that's what I've been doing at my Substack, which is kevinbarrett.substack.com, which is, by the way, going totally no paywall. I've, I've had a mix of paywalled and non-paywalled stuff, mostly the latter uh, since I started and I've got readers and listeners who tell me that they're just really not able to afford the, the basic, you know, minimal six bucks a month for subscriptions. And therefore, I finally, after running a little listening, listeners and readers poll, decided to go no paywall. And uh, so from now on, people can basically see everything I do and participate in the comments at the Substack by going to kevinbarrett.substack.com. Okay, so that's uh, that's the latest news from my Substack. It looks like we're not able to get Alan back. I did send him a Skype message. Hey, Kevin. Are you still... Yeah. If I just, Hi, Mr. Rowe. How, hey, how you doing? I just put, uh, the phone number, the 415 number. If, if you can send him a message, I don't know if you can. If he calls that number, I can merge him into the call. I tried. To, oh, okay. Yeah. I tried to call his number, yeah. but it's not accepting. But if he can call me, we can do it that way. Okay. I will quickly uh, pull up that, uh, 415 number from the chat room and send that over to Alan and we'll see if we can bring him back. Try calling. Maybe next time he comes out, I'll just have him call in. Yeah, that's always that's possible as well. Yeah, that, that crazy Skype glitch where Skype, you know, you call people on Skype and they uh, it doesn't it doesn't ring. Yeah, and, and we Skype, send. I yeah. mean, we send out the number. Like it works for some people. Like your last guest before mm -hmm. saw the Tiburon Belvedere number and he answered, but it's the same number. <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't work for some. I guess it depends on the carriers. 
Yeah, yeah. The carriers have these different default settings, yeah. and usually you can go in if your default setting does not allow calls from unknown callers. You have to do star six eight. I don't know what the number is, but star something something to fix it. I've gone through this a few times with people. <laughs> I guess I should have gone through it with Alan before tonight's show. Gosh, that reminds oh, me well. back in the old days, back in the eighties and nineties. You know when everybody had a had a, a wired phone at home, and you dial like star sixty nine to hide your number, and caller ID was brand new, and <laughs> we everybody had an answering yeah. machine. <laughs> right, right. It, it it does kind of take us back to those days. I remember doing some of that uh, when I was broadcasting uh, live over a telephone with uh, some of those earlier networks I was on, like GCN, Genesis, which was Alex Jones's network. I remember, I, still I remember when you were there. Yeah, yeah you, I was listening to you guys. Oh, yeah. oh sure. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. that was like 2006 through yeah. 2008, I guess. Yeah, and then there were, there were a few other. It was, uh, uh, what, a Jack Blood, was, I think, was there? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and then he jumped over to, like, We the People Radio Network, which, uh, Dr. Deagle became Dr. Bill Deagle. Yeah. Yeah. Deagle was there and Webster Tarpley. Yeah. Tarpley. Yeah. I used to, I've done a few shows with Deagle, never got to talk to Tarpley. Yeah. Yeah. Deagle was, I recall what, among other things, wasn't he talking about the like nuclear demolition at the trade center hypothesis? Yeah. He was all over the map, really far out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of uh, wild stuff. Uh, Tar- well, Tarpley used to be one of my favorites. Uh, I thought he was a very sophisticated analyst, even though I didn't really agree with part of his philosophy and not all of his his, his views. But he's gone kind of neocon on the Ukraine war now. He's he sounds like these you know typical sort of mainstream support Ukraine people. It's kind of strange. <laughs> I don't know why that happened. I think he he had a bad case of Trump derangement syndrome because. He got into a big fight. Uh, apparently, he published something alleging that Melania uh, was originally some kind of like sex trafficked uh, sex industry. Person well, you know, that was I've heard that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a very widespread. That she rumor, was kind of rescued, right? Supposed- that Trump kind of pulled her out of it. Yeah, I guess uh, that would be quite a rescue. But uh, yeah, so Webster uh, wrote about that, I believe. And then Trump sued him. Right. Okay. And, and yeah, so Webster was kind of terrorized into submission, and he had to like sign some statement repudiating that. And uh, so, so he, but I, I think that left him with a bad case of shell shock and and uh, and TDS. <laughs> and so that maybe that explains I know he why used, he's become kind yeah, of yeah, pro Biden. He used to go on to I think Alex Jones and piss Alex off and get Alex all. Huff in a, in a huff. Okay, Tarpley, whatever you say, Tarpley. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, I remember I, I used to talk to him in those days, and he, he said that he saw his role as helping sort of uplift and educate these uh, kind of boneheaded Alex Jones listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but, but frankly, I, I, I'm not, you know, looking at what he's doing now, I, I challenged him to, you know, come on my show or I'll come on his show and like argue about these things. But yeah, I haven't been able to get a response from him for a while. I, uh, I did notice that he's speaking relatively sanely about the situation in Palestine. That is, he, he notices that there's this insane genocide going on yeah, and that it's wrong. So that's good. He hasn't completely lost his senses. There is something pretty vile going on. Over there, so, you know, there's one thing to have two sides that are enemies that are fighting for whatever they're fighting for. But 
some of the rhetoric that's coming out um, is just, you know, beyond dehumanization. Um, you know, we're going to break their backbones and crush their, I mean, and the, the reveling and enjoyment that some of these troops get out of doing this horrible things that are, are doing. It's, you know, it, it boggles my mind because it's like, it's one thing to have an enemy and have whatever animosity toward them and you kill them. Okay. But it's another thing to do it with enjoyment and pleasure, you know, and to just, you know, um, get some sort of, I don't know what you would call it, but just get some enjoyment and pleasure out of killing your fellow man. But of course they don't see them as fellow human beings. Yeah. Yeah, And that's part of the root of the problem. But I think it really goes back to sort of the beginning of the whole Zionist enterprise, which was from the very beginning, the people behind it knew that they were going to have to eliminate the people of Palestine. They just would have to get rid of them. And that, you know, they, they hit it a little bit, but not very well. And there's all kinds of documentary evidence that they had this genocidal intention really from the very beginning, like from you know, the earliest days of the it, Zionist it movement. It does seem to be coming out now, yeah. Yeah. And and then there's a, a kind of a, a weird, you know, sort of uh, like what Gilad Atzman calls a pre-traumatic stress syndrome among these people. Yeah, there's a sort of a national mental illness in Israel that's related partly to the Holocaust uh, trauma. They they brainwash their kids by taking them to Auschwitz and telling them that these that nice old Polish man on the park bench there wants to murder you. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a film called Defamation that goes into some detail, a good, really good Israeli documentary following this uh, kind of brainwashing. And and so I think these people are really traumatized. And they are traumatized into believing that the whole world has always been against them everywhere they've gone and they've been picked on. And now they finally have the upper hand and there's somebody that they can pick on. And so they take uh, sadistic delight in that, um, in, the, in that oppression of the Palestinians yeah. and even that genocide of the Palestinians. And, you know, during the 1960s, there was, there was a, a rash of uh, Holocaust pornography in Israel. that was apparently wildly popular and, they, you know, it was really just this, you know, horrific kind of, of Holocaust porn with a Nazi concentration camp guards, uh, you know, like raping Jews and then the Jews, uh, like raping and killing the guards in revenge. And that was like the most popular kind of entertainment apparently in Israel in the sixties and maybe into the seventies. And of course there's, there's still that sort of thing. Like there's, it's, you know, well known in the sex industry that there are lots and lots of Jews, probably especially in Israel, but not only that are customers for this kind of, you know, really sick Holocaust porn. They, you know, they've bought into that story and the larger story that Jews have always been horrifically persecuted for absolutely no reason by every single group that they've ever lived next to. And that has, you know, between that and possibly the, you know, infant circumcision ritual, <laughs> uh, it's really warped their psyches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a kind of a sort of a, I don't know if you would say comical, but it was kind of comical incident on X or Twitter and I forget his name, but he posted, you know how they have these uh, community notes, which are sort of like Twitter's fact checker kind of thing. And um, so I think it was Dom Lucra, breaker of narratives, I believe. And he posts something along the effect of, you know, uh, Pornhub and most of the porn industry is owned by Muslims. And of course, that's that's <laughs> not true. Right. So the fact checker community notes kicks in. <laughs> 
and says, no, oh, no, it's not owned by Muslims. It's owned by Jews. And it, you know, and starts to do, so he kind of like <laughs> hacked it in a way by putting out purposely, you know, inaccurate info so that the fact checker can correct it and put the real info out there, which. <laughs> well, so, so that's why Alex Jones keeps saying that Muslims control the media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because now you got the machines, the AI or the community notes or whatever it is going, oh, hey, that's not true and uh, setting it straight. And, and that's the way to kind of get it to actually tell the truth, which is uh, oh, how man. I want it. Yeah, well, I'm sure they're probably programming their, their algorithms and their AIs to try to make sure that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, it caused a big <laughs> but, ripple and people were putting all kinds of interesting comments out and breaking the system. So then. It, it was trending for a while, community notes. And then it actually got, it, they, somehow it got in a fight with itself. Like one part of community notes would say one thing and then the other one would try to correct that. And it was kind of like it's stuck in a weird loop. So I guess they had to go back to the drawing board on that one. Yeah. These, these fact checkers are, are kind of caught in this weird no man's land between on the one hand, actually trying to get at the truth which is theoretically what their mission is supposed <laughs> to be. But on the other hand, sort of regurgitating these narratives, yes. and, you know, especially the establishment supported the narratives. The establishment and, truth. That's the one that we're looking right. for. You know, the establishment's <laughs> truth, not your truth. <laughs> right. And of course, these establishment truths tend to be self-contradictory in certain respects. So, uh, you know, poking them until they finally break, I guess, is a, is a worthwhile enterprise up to a certain point. But, you know, what happened to the old philosophy that the best fact check was just free speech, let people debate and then have some rules of debate mm -hmm. so that people have to argue from logic and evidence. And that'll eventually get you as close to the truth as anything can. But I guess the authorities don't believe in that anymore. Well, it's I think it's a combination of they they want to treat everybody like a, an ignorant child um, that doesn't have, you know, the wherewithal to make any sort of self-determination or any sort of semblance of logic and reason. Uh, but at the same time, they don't want that because then that logic and reasoning will point that the establishment is actually a hindrance to mankind. Um, so they're kind of stuck in a catch-22. They're looking, for, I think, for that happy medium where they can fool everybody and gaslight everybody to a point, and, and everybody's so stupid that they'll just go along with the gaslighting. I think that's one of the main purposes of the generative AI is to dumb everybody down so that nobody really can trust your fellow human because uh, the teachers don't know anything and the students don't know anything. But, oh, the screen, the screen knows. You know, before it was Wikipedia and Google. And people would go over to the library and, you know, get information to confirm. Now they just type it into the AI and the AI, whether it hallucinates or not, or gives out slightly inaccurate information, well, nobody will ever know. But the computer said that. We've been conditioned to believe that whatever's on the computer screen is almost like the word of God. You know, and like when a police officer is checking your records and things, he's going to go by what the computer says. And nine times out of ten, it is accurate. But now that we're in that sort of gray zone of, algorithms and AI hallucinations and, you know, of course, throw in the hackers in the mix and uh, just the, the, the whole aspect of the human condition. And, you know, this is it's going to be an interesting future <laughs> if, uh, if enough of us can keep our heads to keep thinking logically. I think the main goal is to remove reason and logic 
so that everybody is confused and they're all looking for some sort of electronic savior, seer, answer giver, and caretaker all at the same time. Indeed. I couldn't have said it better. Well, a degenerative, I guess that's why they call it degenerative AI, is it's helping us degenerate, or trying to anyway. Uh, but in terms of the gaslighting, there's a sort of a, uh, you know, two different perspectives clashing within the truth movement between the more sort of conservative button down element that often sticks with establishment narratives on certain things because they say, you know, they believe that, well, they, they only lie to us when they have a good reason to. And it's easier to just sort of tell the truth more or less about most things most of the time. And then when they have to really brainwash us by lying, like with 9-11 or what have you, you know, that, then they'll lie. You know, war propaganda is full of lies, of course, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's not, and they only lie when it's to their advantage. Well, about the important things. And they only lie about the things that matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. So that, that's the button down view. There's another view, though, and I have some friends who uh, subscribe to this view, that they're gaslighting us for the sheer sadistic pleasure of doing that, and that they are engaging in what's been called duper's delight, which is the joy that liars feel when they con somebody into believing their lies. And so they're so drunk on duper's delight that they're running around lying outrageously about all kinds of things they don't even really need to lie about, but they're just doing it for fun. I think that's part so, of it. I mean, to me, that's that's going too well, far. What do you I, think? I think that for some people, yeah, there are statistic people out there and psychopaths. And I think that that is part of it. Yeah, there are those out there that just for the sheer pleasure of, quote unquote, getting over. It's like, you know, I knew a person that would steal things just to steal them. He would go to the store or whatever, and he would steal something for the thrill of it. Didn't need it. Didn't even plan on just opportunity. And I was like, dude, you you shouldn't steal if you, you know, I mean, I can understand if you were hungry or something, you need something or it was a matter of life and death. But, you know, you're stealing stupid stuff for no reason. And, you know, I I couldn't couldn't understand why someone would think that way or do it's, you know, people that do malevolent things to animals and stuff. So there's there's those type of people out there that just derive pleasure in the misfortune of others. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. some of these people are highly intelligent. Yeah, those are the ones you have to watch out for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the high IQ psychopaths, yes. the, the low IQ psychopaths tend to get caught yeah. uh, and, and they can be studied in captivity, which is why most of what we know about psychopathy is from studies of the not so bright psychopaths in captivity. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, the smart psychopaths, especially those who are capable of working with others, especially other psychopaths, end up running the world. Right. And we end up being the ones in captivity that they study. Yeah, they run the world. They run big companies, you know, and I mean, they're antithetical to, to humanity. Um, so, and a lot, and a lot, and there's a lot of people that I think are, uh, I wouldn't even say good natured, but they kind of they don't have bad intentions. But I think that they get caught up in the gaslighting and then they get manipulated and then they get, you know, then they're lost and they may actually have good intentions. But after being manipulated and gaslit for so long, they're in a, you know, in their own little container of confusion. <laughs> and right. and right. that's, well, yeah, that's some of the Americans. Idiot. That's yeah. your useful idiot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, in terms of what's happening in Palestine right now, I think a lot of Americans are useful idiots because, 
you know, these Israelis are now confessing that they lied about the 40 beheaded babies and the babies roasted in ovens and the babies hung out on clotheslines and all this stuff. Uh, there, there was a recent uh, article in Israel that featured interviews with some of these Israelis who had actually made up these lies and spread them. And, and they were pretty shameless about saying, well, you know, it's, we needed wartime propaganda. We need to, the first, first thing you have to do is, is get your, you know, get your propaganda narrative going to motivate your people. So that's why we lied and we're proud of it, basically. Uh, but the Americans then see that stuff in their media transmitted without any skepticism and, you know, end up actually having this bizarre view that, you know, when Hamas raided Israel on October 7th, it was running around committing these gratuitous atrocities, which it absolutely wasn't. And, it, you know, this contributes also to this uh, misinformation about the Islamic military tradition, which is actually pretty, you know, relatively moral. I mean, I'm, obviously there were some horrific things that happened in Islamic conquests in the past. Uh, but even, you know, when you talk about these, these, you know, generals and leaders who were, uh, you know, put whole cities to the sword if they didn't submit and things like that, you compare them to the, their non-Muslim equivalents. Like if you compare, say, uh, the, you know, Genghis Khan to the, you know, subsequent Muslims after the Mongols converted, the Islam is even having a slightly positive effect on these brutal Mongol conquerors. Uh, but the, you know, the rules of warfare are very strict. You never, you're absolutely not allowed to harm non-combatants and so on and so forth. So people like Hamas, who are these you know, Muslim militias, are actually going to have much better ethics in battle than, uh, than other non-Muslim equivalents overall on the average. And yet the opposite impression has been fostered by the propaganda. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the propaganda is, uh, it's, well, they've been taking lessons from those uh, Saudi hijackers, I think. Yeah, I guess. The Saudi, Everybody Saudi knows hijackers. those Saudi hijackers. Everybody knows that, you know. <laughs> There's right, nothing right. Uh, fishy about that story at all. Yeah, well, the thing about that is, like, you know, the the official you know, sources uh, still have on the record that, Various groups of these alleged hijackers were engaging in wildly un-Islamic behavior. So it must be true. Uh, that... <laughs> the, the official sources say it. So, and I'm sure the AI yeah. will back up those official sources. If you were to put it in Chat GPT, I'm sure it would. So I don't know, you know, what all the fuss is about. We we've just got to trust those official sources, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> in, in this case, I think what happened was the official sources, you know, got some stuff right, and. So then they didn't know how to process this, right? Because actually, you know, these people who were playing the roles that would become the alleged 19 hijackers were indeed basically drug smugglers, apparently. And they were having a great time and partying it up and had tons of money and cocaine. Uh, and so the problem became when that information came out, it was reported by elements of the media that, you know, left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. And so now the official story says, well, yeah, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, these guys were not radical Muslims? And so then the, uh, what they do is they fall back on, well, you know, maybe they, they were trained to pretend <laughs> to be not Muslims so they could sneak into America ah. and, and not, yeah, you know, ah, it was all a big ruse or something. So they just make stuff like that up. Uh, it's amazing and, that people will just go right, right along with it. You know, oh yeah, uh huh, okay. That's the star. Like, 
like I remember when the the planted story about the guy that nobody ever found out who he was. He who put out the pancaking thing. He got got on video and he's all, yeah, we know that it was mo- mostly due to structural failure that the building just sort of pancaked. And this is like this guy. And now everybody Harley guy, <laughs> some guy in a Harley. Yeah, and then he's gone. Oh come on, tell me he didn't go back to Langley. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they claim uh, there was a claim out that they'd identified him. Oh. Somebody uh, in the truther community claimed that they'd found him. He was like some kind of B grade actor, <laughs> you know, some kind of you know guy who hadn't been able to get too many uh, paying acting jobs, but was on the list for. Acting. There are a few trolls out uh, there that you know. I've seen some people that'll go on like do a newscast and just just as a troll. So you got to watch out for those kind of people too. <laughs> Okay, watch out for the trolls, the shills, <laughs> the paid disinformation agents. There probably are some of them out there. Um, but hopefully not here on Truth Yet Radio. We do try to vet our guests and come up with the most interesting folks with the most interesting things to say, like Alan Zabrowski, who we'll get back on here somehow on a better connection someday, inshallah. Well, hey, thank you, Mr. Rowe. It's been sure a thing. great conversation. Uh, you're holding up Alan Zabrowski's end very well. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Back in the next hour with Professor Anthony Hall of Lethbridge University.